0: Welcome to episode 26 of How About Them Huskies. As always, I'm Connor with Matt, Andrew, and Matt. And probably a little shorter episode today, just recapping the UConn's game against Creighton out in Omaha. A tough three-point road loss, 56-53. Really an ugly game from what I can see here. I, I actually didn't see most of this game. I try to catch all of them. I didn't get to see a lot of this one. I was actually at MSG seeing the good old Providence Friars fall to St. John's. So St. John's another key win after they beat us earlier. They're now 5-10 and ten in Big East play. Bad loss for UConn. But we're talking about Creighton here. UConn fell by three. It was a close one. There was back and forth. I will let you guys start it off. What went wrong for them?
1: Well, I actually think that we did what we were trying to do. Um, we held their guys limited. Kaluma didn't have a single field goal. Uh we held Kulk Brenner to 12 and 6. Uh Baylor Sharman had 11 points. You know, I feel like what we were supposed to do on the defensive end, we executed uh, you know, quite well, but it came to our offense, you know. Um, which we have been doing quite well with. Uh, we've been able to put up points in bunches. Uh, this game we had two double digit scorers, uh, in Sunogo and Hawkins. And you know, Hawkins really still wasn't there with 11 points, he shot four of 13, he, he shot a two of seven from three. Um, but you know, I feel like we executed the game plan sometimes, you just lose them. Um, I do like where we're headed though. Obviously, Creighton is a very good team, they're on seven straight wins coming into the game. Um, so I mean, am I concerned about this loss? Not really losing to a team like that at home, uh, isn't much of a worry, but uh, obviously, you want to see your team win. Uh, so I'm just gonna leave it at that.
2: Well, it wasn't as much as what we did wrong as what did Creighton do right. I mean, I think one of the main reasons for this one is I mean, it's hard to win in Creighton no matter what. I mean, if you can tell me what other activities there are to do in Nebraska. I'll uh, I'll give you a prize because there's not many. And Creighton fans really show out every single time. I mean, Creighton could be playing anybody, and their fans are going to show out with all their chants and stuff. So, you know, it's tough to play in Creighton. Um, I called it from the beginning that we were going to lose this game. I mean, I don't care if we had prime Michael Jordan. I don't think that we win in Creighton just because of the nature of their fans and stuff. You know, like, we'll get loud, stuff like that. But, I mean, Creighton fans are a different breed. You know, they have – it's really the only thing they have going for them there. So it's it's not about what we did wrong as to, like, what they did right would be my, my assessment on this one.
3: Yeah, and it was just another one of those games where this team didn't really handle the late game well in a close game. Um, like Connor was saying before the show, the last time we won a close game, or our only close win this year was against Georgetown, which is the weakest team in our conference but something that was encouraging was just holding a team that that's talented to under 60 points. It's been a while since we've seen that um, this team's defense hasn't looked great all year. And it was nice to see us hold Creighton under 60 points. That being said, we only scored 53 points and they did a really good job Creighton. That is um, just nullifying Tristan Newton, who's been superb these last six games and, um, Jordan Hawkins didn't really get it going. You can't expect him to get it going like he has been every night. But um, just not too many guys stepped up. Snowgo had himself a good game, but not too many guys really stepped up and um, scored some points for us.
0: Yeah, I have Creighton's game logs up here. 56. That's the second lowest points total for them this season. The only time they scored lower when they had 53 and their only home loss of the year against Nebraska. And we also held them to their fourth lowest at 60 points when they came to our building. So two of their four lowest scoring games are against us. So we're limiting them offensively. We've seen, we've seen them go for over 100 in Biggie's play against St. John's a couple of weeks ago. So the defense isn't really the problem, like you mentioned. Kaluma zero field goals—that's unthought of when you looked at how he played last time against us. Calkbrenner didn't really do too much on Sonogo, and uh, T- uh, Trey Alexander was really the guy that killed us. He only played twenty-three minutes, but he had seventeen points. He felt like he couldn't miss when he was in there. Luckily, he was in some foul trouble—foul trouble—or else it could have been a larger deficit than it was.
1: Yeah, and uh, efficiency is a big thing. Uh, a team that shoots 25% of three is not going to win a game, no matter how good your defense is. We shot 32% from the field and 25 from three. Uh, that is unacceptable. You can't do that, especially, you know, you have your bench pieces coming in. Uh, Naheem Aline, who's been a pleasant surprise for us the past few games, shot one of six, saw three from three with five points. Uh, Klingon two of five. I'm not sure how you're seven, two, and shoot two of five, to be honest. But you know, you live and you learn. Uh, Diarra 1 of 2, he hit a 3, which was pretty big. Uh, Hawkins, 4 of 13. Jackson, 3 of 11. Newton, 1 of 4. Uh, Sonogo, 7 of 17. Caribbean, 2 of 5. It, it's all things that are, you know, that are problems within the players. You know, you can only coach so well. And I don't think Danny Hurley deserves any slack for this game. I think he coached a perfect game. Uh, you know, he can't go out there and score the points for them. So, I mean, they're going to have to turn that around.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you look at it from a betting standpoint, Creighton minus four, four and a half, we beat him by three. We covered that. So we weren't even expected to win this one, according to most people. And like I mentioned, they haven't lost a home game in the big East and pretty much in the big East, it's like 80 something percent home win percentage across the entire league. And that's including with teams like Georgetown and DePaul at the bottom who pretty much don't win any games. So it's really tough to win road games in this conference. And you mentioned Aline and his five points. I believe He's at nine hundred and ninety now in his career, ten points away from one thousand. Like that's reasonable to get that versus Eaton Hall on Saturday. We saw him get double digits last weekend, so it's definitely a possibility. And I just find it very interesting how Tristan Newton has been pretty, arguably our best player over the past couple of weeks, and just to be non-existent in such a big game. I mean, he only had two points and only took four shots. We always talk about aggressive Newtons, good Newton. This is. Prime definition of not good Newton, just the two points. And him and Jackson, we'll get to Jackson in a little bit. I'm sure we all have a, some thoughts on him, but they were unplayable down the stretch. Like in the, when we were trailing by like one or two, they were not, neither of them were on the floor. It was Diara and Aline with the other three starters. So that's, that's props to Hurley, I guess. The two guys that aren't really producing, he's not playing them. He sees they're struggling. So he's making those in game adjustments. But it's just really surprising to see Newton struggle after how he's been. Yeah, and I hate to harp on um, Newton struggling, but
3: it's just such a noticeable difference when he's playing well and playing aggressively. And I keep saying this, but obviously four shots is inexcusable. Even if he shoots 10 and he still doesn't play very well, I could live with that. You know, it's just an off night, but I can't have him just shooting the ball four times because um, the results are there. When he's one of our primary playmakers, um, we win games.
2: I mean, we talked about it in, after the St. John's loss where we did the math and he he's a non factor completely in all of our losses, and that's that's definitely a reason he showed it in this one. What we've learned from him is that we really can't have him be a non factor in games because we're gonna lose him. And it showed I mean that Seton Hall game, I think he barely had any. He didn't have any against St. John's and, and this Creighton one he only had two. And I'm sure there's a couple more that I'm forgetting, but we just we can't have him being a non-factor because he really he's a huge part of this team and a bigger part than I think a lot of people see. I mean, having a big guard like that, who's not afraid to shoot it or take it to the rack or even make the right pass, you know. So if he's not scoring, the offense isn't running behind him. and Everything's really not going to work. So we can't have a guy like Tristan Newton being a non-factor this many times like this
1: all that confidence that i was praising him for seemed to have just went entirely out the window this game. Uh there were plenty of opportunities for him to just put up shots uh where he didn't take them. Um in previous games, you know, we'd see him pull up from two or three feet behind three point line, sink one. Uh this game, one total three pointer. Really? Uh you need to put up more than that, man. I mean, even if they're bad shots, you know, you've been feeling yourself recently. Should be shooting them anyways, you know. Uh you've been a human human microwave, honestly, off starting not even coming off the bench. So, I mean, I would have loved to have seen him, you know, have more confidence in his shot, especially the way he's been shooting it.
0: And I don't remember this fully. I didn't see the whole game, like I mentioned. I'm pretty sure, correct me if I'm wrong, it was Nembar guarding Newton the majority of the time. He's six feet tall. Newton's 6'5". That's a five-inch advantage. I want to see him take it inside. We know he can drive, get to the foul line. Let's see. I don't think he took any free throws. I could be wrong. No, he didn't make any free throws. I mean, he's, he. we saw the game against Buffalo. I understand that was like three months ago, but he took like 20 free throws. I don't see why he can't do that again. And we'll talk a little bit about Adama Sunogo here. He was UConn's best player, 17-10, and 10, a double-double. But an interesting stat, he went three for seven from three, which he made three, which is very surprising. I'm pretty sure they are all in the first half, if I'm not mistaken, too but he took seven, and he's only taken more than four threes twice this season, and they were both against Creighton. He went two for five at Gample and three for seven here in Omaha, so it's really, I feel like Creighton's allowing him to take that shot, because they understand it's not a high percentage shot. I mean, he's making them when he takes them, but I mean, let's see, he's three point percentage this year. It's, it's actually 40%, but it's only on 1.5 attempts per game, but Creighton wants guys like Sonogo to take threes and Jackson to take threes. That's playing right into their defensive game plan. So even though he hit three of them, I mean, Adama Sonogo should not miss four threes in the game. He shouldn't take that many to miss four. That really hurt us, I think.
1: I don't know. I'll never penalize the guy uh, because, you know, that shot was going in. Um, If you're making three out of four, I mean, or three out of seven, you know, that's not a terrible percentage, Uh, especially for a guy like him. It keeps the defense very honest. Because knowing that you'll even shoot the ball, the defense will come up and play on you when they shouldn't be. Future three of seven. uh, I feel like that'll keep them real honest, especially when a guy like Jackson, uh, who was flinging him up there, uh, just decides all of a sudden that he's just not taking one ever again. I don't understand the thought process there. Uh, If he has that much space, man, it can't hurt to take one or two and see how the jump shot is. Uh, Did he take any this game? He took, oh, he took four of them. That surprised me. I take back what I said, but I felt like, you know, even on the three, you know, once he was shooting it, he just gave up. I, I liked having Sinago shoot him out there. Um, just keeping the defense honest and pulling Brenner out and, you know, allowing guys like Newton to get into the middle, which, you know, he just didn't. But, you know, on to the next.
3: Yeah, and <clears throat> Ryan Cochbrenner is just such a presence that when you're not spacing the floor well, when you're not shooting the ball well, um, and their guys could sit back, and Cockbrenner could come over to help, then it's just really hard to score on them. And we saw it, obviously, it was an off-shooting game. It was only 30%. And um, it's just really hard to get buckets inside against the squad. So, obviously, you got to shoot the ball better against Creighton.
2: And the thing with the Adama 3, in my opinion, is obviously we talked to him. We know that he worked on it. um, But if he's shooting that, you know is not going to be at the top of the key or the three-point line guarding him. So you leave a seven-footer in the paint, and who's going to get that rebound? I mean, you know Caraban's not going to get up there and get that. He's probably on the wing. I mean, Jackson with all his athleticism is in there. But a six-six guy going up against a seven-footer, that rebound is just not going to happen. So Adama's shooting seven threes in a game, you know, he made three great. He worked on it. He's getting better. His form's looking a lot better you know, the good things, but he shouldn't take more than five because we're really just giving them rebounds. And like Connor said, it's not a high percentage shot. I mean, you're not going to, you're not going to go down and watch a dumb pull it from the logo every time. I mean, he's going to be open. He's going to shoot it, but I just feel like seven threes for him is way too many. And we're just giving them rebounds at that point. I mean, it's, it's fine if he makes it, like, good. Like, it's great that he made three. It's getting better. But I just – I think seven's way too many for him to be shooting.
1: This whole Adama uh, shooting threes thing uh, more consistently is kind of making the whole clinging, uh separate lineups thing make a little bit more sense to me um, because you can't have them both in the paint. Uh, that will just kill your offense, having both of them out there. It'll make your defense pretty good, but your offense would be stagnant because you got two post dominant players just standing around. Um, if we see more of this out of Sonogo, I wouldn't be surprised to see more clean uh, out there with him because if he's checking up threes, uh, you know, having someone out there who's 7 2 or 7 3 to clean up the mess a little bit uh, would not hurt. Uh, and I'd actually really like to see that.
3: Yeah. And like we were saying, um... Spacing is just so important, and obviously seven threes does seem like a lot for Sonogo, but they really just need to do whatever they could to try and get Ryan Cockburner out of the paint. And, uh, yeah, when the spacing's not there, it's going to be trouble against those guys.
0: And you mentioned Klingon; He only played seven minutes in this one, but he scored four points and had seven rebounds. So seven rebounds in seven minutes. His rebounding keeps on impressing me. Last game against Marquette, he had, I believe, eight rebounds in 10 minutes. I'm not sure what the college stat is for, like, per 36. It's per 36 in the NBA. But he's probably averaging, like, 25 rebounds per 36 or whatever it is. It's just he comes in. He stuffs the stat sheet. He had a block in this one. He didn't play too much in the second half after doing well in the first. But I feel like, especially like you guys mentioned, Snowgo shooting the three-ball more it opens up them to play together. And even now, there's really no excuse. You don't have a big on the bench. I know Samson Johnson didn't play in this game, but he's there if, like, say, you need to go to one off the bench real quick. They have that depth now.
1: They just got to keep clinging, conditioned. Um, I feel like they're doing a great job. If you look back to last year with Zach Edie, uh they're playing very similar minutes, and they have very similar stats. I feel like they're kind of just waiting uh, to unleash them sort of next season, like we were all... Thinking about someone last year, I can't remember who it was. Oh, I think it was, might've been Andre or something where we were just waiting to like unleash him and then it never happened. Um, but yeah, I feel like they're just waiting for Klingen. Uh, keep him conditioned and, you know, eventually when he's ready, just throw him out there for 30 minutes and see what he can do.
0: I also saw on the Boneyard, I know that's not a place that there's a lot of intelligent takes from times. So I saw someone said that, Clingon did so well in the non-conference preseason games like out in Portland that Hurley's thinking oh no if he does this in Big East play he's a top 20 pick this year and I lose him so I'm just not going to play him in Big East play that's not the case I don't even know why you would think that it's just you have the Big East player of the year at the same position or preseason Big East player of the year at the same position as him and they'd rather him out there for majority of the minutes that's a very very interesting take we don't have to get too much into it but I just found that very interesting
2: yeah, I'm not going to get too into that. I'm not going to put too much attention into that. That's just not how this works. But, um, yeah, we do have the, the Big East Player of the Year favorite at the same position as him. And Klingon's still a freshman. I mean, he's very good, athletic, tall, great build, but he's he's still a freshman. And I, like, I honestly like the fact that he's not – averaging 25 yet, because I really hate the idea of the one and done. I think it's really stupid. I think these guys really aren't prepared for the NBA because it's such a different game. And after a year of college, I, I really think it's completely pointless. But I I like the fact that Klingon is showing his worth, but not playing 30 minutes a game because that, I think that would ruin his body playing that much early on. You know, he needs some time to develop. But I I can't believe that somebody would say that. I mean, that is just so uneducated. (laughs) That's just ridiculous. Good Lord.
1: And as a coach, you kind of are forced to decide, you know, before you go in to your job uh, at a new school, you got to decide whether or not you want to be a coach who brings players in for one year and immediately sends them out. Or if you actually want to build something at the program you're working at. And it seems like Hurley really cares about, you know, UConn and all these players and you know, keeping them around and they have long successful college careers, uh, to some other coaches who bring guys in and feed them minutes as much as possible. Uh, and then you know, they're gone the next year. That doesn't really build a uh build a team, that doesn't build a consistent team and that doesn't build champions. So I, I like I like what Hurley's thinking.
0: Yeah, this is my last point on the topic. I don't know when Klingon's minutes started to go down. I don't know if it was 9-0, 10-0, 11-0. But I feel like if UConn's undefeated top five in the country, Hurley's not like, I'm just going to take the foot off the pedal and focus on next year so I have my players. So I, that's definitely not the case. And I think we're almost done here. Like I said, it's going to be a short episode. But there's one player we haven't really talked too much about. We mentioned him briefly. We're going to talk a little more in-depth about him, and that's Andre Jackson. I mean, he didn't. Arguably one of his worst games of the season. He six points, six rebounds. He went three of eleven from the field, zero four from three, zero assists. And there was times, especially late in the second half, it felt like it was five on four on offense. They were leaking off him. It felt like almost like when Ben Simmons was in Philly, and honestly, they may do it now. He's in Brooklyn. I haven't watched too many Nets games where they just like guard him like twenty feet away because I know even if he gets the ball on the perimeter, he's not hitting that three. And even when he takes the ball inside, he always either does that little floater, which doesn't work too often. He actually may have hit one, if I'm not mistaken, against Creighton. It doesn't work too often, though. And if he's in the post, like posting up someone, it's just, it just seems wild. And I don't know. It's just, I don't really like it. It's weird. You feel like a guy like him, you'd want the ball in his hands because of his playmaking. But when he has zero assists and missing eight shots, I mean, it's not a recipe for success.
1: There comes a point when you kind of got to understand, you know, what you're working with, what you're dealing with, and I feel like we're around that point now. And I don't know what the proper um, plan of action is, but I mean, they've obviously been trying to get him shooting. That's not working. He doesn't hit the floaters. He's just such an offensive liability. And you know, I don't think he should be out there commanding the floor by himself. I mean, obviously, he's a great passer. But if you don't have confidence, you're not able to lead an offense. And you don't want a player who's lacking confidence, you know, bringing the ball up, commanding the offense, because nobody's going to listen to him. Uh, I, I, I like dr out there as much as he was. He had 17 minutes. Um, that is a big upgrade from recent games. And whenever he's out there, you know, the team looks to be playing a little bit better. You know, despite him not being the scorer, he's the most effective three points in the whole country. So um, you need guys out there who are confident rather than you know athletic because that's all we've heard about Andre Jackson is how athletic he is and how gifted he is but where's the substance you know he's averaging like five across the board five's across the board and I mean that's good but what is that winning you I mean he can win you games on defense but what if it's a low scoring game like this you know you need offense it's just it doesn't make sense to play him in games like this Uh, I feel like he's going to become more of a matchup guy from now on
3: yeah and You know, like you were just saying, he is one of the most athletic players in the country, and he does some stuff that it seems like no one else can do. But there really comes a point where you need offensive production. There really comes a point where you can't have a guy necessarily bring you down offensively um, and not get any points from him. So I don't know what you do there with him because, like I said, he does stuff that no one else can do. We really like him. He's been around for a while. but you need someone who can make a play with the ball in their hands on the offensive end. You can't, like you were saying, you can't be five
2: and four out there. I'm going to keep it short and sweet with him. Cause I love Andre. He's a great player. I really don't want to bash on here, but he's got, he's just got to know his role. And really the team has to know his role too. I mean, we don't need him to be Steph Curry with an Afro. You know, we need him to just be, be Andre Jackson, you know, guard the best players as well you can, you know, if you're hitting shots, keep taking them. But if, if you're not hitting shots, focus on the assists and defense, finding the right, the open players who will make the shots. And I think that's what the team needs to focus on too, because sometimes they might be relying too much on him, but end of the story, he's just got to know his role a little better now going forward, especially getting into tournament play.
1: My opinion, um, you know, I feel like teams don't know they really can because they get a different play every game with this guy. Um, You know, one night I'll come out and I'll shoot two or four from three. And, you know, that's honest, but I mean, what else? And it's like if you're going towards the basket, you're this athletic. Why don't you just rise up over, guys? I feel like I'm always just waiting for that dunk or that like finger roll layup right at the rim, but and it never comes. I feel like he's always trying to do too much, and I feel like everybody knows what he's gonna do. And like I said, it's a different player every game. You know, one game you got a shooter, one game you got a defender, one one game you got a passer. Or... Sure, Denny Hurley, how the hell are you supposed to control that? You don't. I wouldn't know what to do. Um, I feel like in my opinion, I would go with the more reliable players who you know what you're getting from them. I love Andre, but at some point, man, you got, you got to refine your skills and you and you got to become a more skilled player compared to an athletic player.
0: Yeah, you mentioned the dunks. I feel like just thinking real quick. Most of his dunks that I remember, at least, are on fast break steals, where he's like the only person down there. There's, he doesn't really like in an offensive set go up for a slam. There's occasionally he like I remember one specific standing dunk in one game. I don't remember which game it was, but most of his dunks are just like fast break highlight steals. I mean, like I'd like to see him like do it maybe. An, actually, I lied. There are alley oops from time to time, like set plays, but I'd like to see like him blow by a guy and throw it down. I mean, he definitely is capable of doing that. I think what you're getting at is that when you're
3: athletic, you need to finish strong as opposed to throwing up um, a floater or runner like um, small guards do. Um, With his build, his frame, and his athleticism, he should be meeting guys at the rim. He should be going over guys. But um, who knows why his main move when he gets inside is a floater. Maybe that's what the coaches coached him to do, but I would really like to see him go up there and meet someone at the rim. Even if it's a layup, just finish strong, finish with the layup.
1: This is going to sound a little bit ridiculous uh, to be honest, but it's like on 2k when you build a character up and you max out his stats and you have no idea how to use them. That's kind of just what it looks like out there. When you build a new 2k character, he's like a 93 overall and you're running around and you, you can't figure out how to score. You know, you're going to figure it out. It's just like, When, how are you going to do it? And it's he just needs to refine his skills because he has all the talent in the world. He can do anything. It's just a matter of figuring it out, you know? And good thing he's young because if he was five years older, then nobody would want to take a chance on him.
0: I like that comparison. And we'll do one last thing here real quick. We're not going to talk too much about it because there's really nothing to change. The last play of the game, obviously, uh, well, first of all, before the last play, Hawkins, his, Three pointer turn two because his toe was on the line. I mean, that's shades of KD in the playoffs last year. I mean, I personally, when I saw it go up, I thought it was a two, but the announcers thought otherwise. And they, they honestly, I don't think they even thought it could have been a two. They were like, oh, we tied it with a three. I obviously I got excited like it was a three, but I saw his foot was clearly a couple inches on the line. You know, but that's just it is what it is. I mean, I'm pretty sure the shot before that that missed was a Sudogo three. I'm not saying with We're down by three with 11 or whatever seconds left. You want a Sonogo three to tie the game, but it is what it is. And then we went down, foul Kalk Brenner. He hit both free throws, I believe 2.7 or so seconds, 2.4, 2.7, one of the two. And Jackson, it was five on four on the other end because no one was guarding the inbounder. And he just launched it right into Kaluma's hands. And that was that. I mean, people are bashing both Jackson for what kind of a pass was that and Hurley for drawing that up. But I mean, Personally, in that position with 2.7 seconds, I'd rather you try to get the ball across half court. Say you waste a second to a second and a half doing that. You still have at least one second to get a decent look off a side inbounds. I mean, you're very rarely are you going to throw up that home run pass like Jackson, let alone your, your guy catches it and he, he needs to turn and shoot in 2.7 seconds. It's very unlikely. That's just my point. We don't have to go too much into it. You guys can give some thoughts if you want, but it's just like – I don't know. It's just people are getting mad about that, but that's not the thing to get mad about. That's definitely not what lost us the game.
1: I'm going back to Jackson again, but if you know that the dude can go up and get the ball, why is he passing it? The the, the whole thing doesn't make sense. It's just like they don't know what to do. If they know that he's going to be the guy to go up and catch it because he's so athletic, why is he passing it in? It it doesn't make much sense. Maybe because he's not the best shooter and they knew that, you know, they, they wouldn't want him on the shot. But, I mean, say you throw it up to him and he jumps a foot higher than everyone else and catches it and, you know, dishes it out to the three-point line. That wouldn't have been that bad of a play. But, I mean, you have to learn from these. And, I mean, I feel like we it can't get much worse going forward in close games.
0: Yeah, Kaluma's the one that caught the pass from Jackson. He caught it, like, pretty much as soon as the clock started and dropped the ball. And no one picked it up. It was like the play was dead, but it wasn't. I don't know what was going on with that. but. It is what it is. At the end of the day, a tough three-point loss in a tough environment. I'm not losing too much sweat over it. They UConn State it actually went up in the AP poll, up I believe one spot to twenty. So I mean, definitely have been worse days for this team. It's definitely not a low point, and they have arguably their biggest game of the season coming up for as long as, in terms of a seating in the Big East against Seton Hall at home. So and they have a week to prepare. I'm pretty confident going into that one. Just real quick, I don't want to hold us too much longer, but uh, I saw today a
2: piece of information that's pretty weird, and I want to see your guys' thoughts on it. Senior night's been moved. It's not against DePaul anymore, and it's actually going to be against Providence next Wednesday. Um, I mean, completely changing the ceremony. You know, that is our last gamble game, and I, I thought that from the beginning that there was a scheduling error. And honestly, in my opinion, senior night should be against your rival and Providence is clear our arrival. I mean, we don't have a rival with DePaul. But, uh, I yeah, what are your guys' thoughts on that one? Because that definitely – it didn't surprise me, but it definitely caught me off guard a little bit just that they even
1: did that. I think seeing right at the XL Center uh, never made much sense to me anyways. So, you know, probably just a little quick move for – just get them back game one more time.
0: Yeah, I like the move to Gamble, but I feel like they shouldn't have to move it to Gamble. It should have been a Gamble to begin with. And if it's against a rival, not against a rival, that doesn't really matter to me. But I'm just glad it's where it should be on campus. I might have to make it out to Providence now. I was considering going out to that game. Now it's senior night. I might have to make an appearance to support the guys. But yeah, long story short, it should be a Gamble all the time. I'm surprised they even scheduled it to be at XL. I don't know why, but... That's above That's above my level here. And I think that'll just about do it for episode 26. I said quick episode. I think we went a little longer than I expected. But there's a lot to digest after a tough, close loss against one of our teams that we haven't had too much success against in the Big East. Like I mentioned, never won in Omaha since we joined the conference. But we're on to Seton Hall. We may have a little surprise in store for Seton Hall. So we'll keep you posted with that. Last time I said surprise, that it was – you remember what it was so you probably know what this one is it's the same thing if we do it but yeah that's about to do it here for episode 26 and thanks for watching